This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. on your minds for a season that started in july it's coming down to the last six seconds of the great cup game i think that's all you can ask for who won and who lost in my world whoever was left standing won period the late 1970s were winning times in alberta especially in edmonton the grandest field in the country was built, Commonwealth Stadium. In 1978, the Edmonton Eskimos won the Grey Cup, beating Montreal 20-13. Oil was driving the economy to new heights, and the Eskimos were giving their city a bold new attitude. In 1979, the Eskimos won the cup again. And in 1980, they won their third in a row, tying a CFL record. The city, the team, and the province were riding high. But there was trouble in the country. These people in Quebec and in Canada want to split it up, they want to take it away from their children, they want to break it down, no, In a referendum in 1980, more than a million Quebecers voted to leave Canada. Across the country and around the world, nightmare interest rates were creating misery and fear. Ladies and gentlemen, the Premier of the Province of Alberta, Mr. Peter Lougheed. Fellow Albertans, we face a serious situation in this province, as I'm sure you're aware, as a result of the federal budget and energy measures announced two days ago. Later that year, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau legislated a national energy program. Ottawa wanted more control over the energy industry and a share of oil revenues. Alberta Premier Peter Lougheed saw it as a money grab. Albertans saw oil as their nest egg and feared the energy program would destroy their future. The Ottawa government has, without negotiation, without agreement, simply walked into our home and occupied the living room. Pierre Trudeau, a strong federalist, believed in a powerful central government. 
At any cost? How far would you go with that? How far would you extend that? Well, just watch me. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Peter Lougheed. Just wanted to say hello to you this morning. Have a good day. Peter Lougheed believed in Canada, too, but also in the power of Alberta to chart its own course. What I do recall personally is that um, the interest rate was about 22.5 or 23 percent at that time. People were losing their jobs, defaulting on mortgages. Its housing prices plummeted uh, more so than in the rest of the country. The unemployment situation was worse than the rest of the country. Um, a lot of the oil companies, foreign-owned oil companies, sold their Canadian assets and moved out. In 1981, the effects of the energy program were first felt in Calgary, and then rippled north to Edmonton, a blue-collar town whose oil fields were going dormant. When you had to go back on Monday morning, and your house was worth 10% less than it was the previous week, and you know, the boss is thinking about laying you off, and all of those crunch things that come into people's lives, are going on and, and, and accelerating. Uh, but at least you had that one moment uh, where there was someone uh, for all of us to unite and cheer about. You'll see why it's back. Who it is, it's a safety from the other side. It's Gary Hayes comes in, hits him right in the back, and the ball flies in the air. Fennell gets a touchdown defensive lineman. That's his dream. <laughs> at that time, people had to make decisions about where they were putting their money and oftentimes that was whether they were going to come to a ball game or not come to a ball game that was never lost on any of us that were here i mean we all had mortgages we were all at 22 percent and it was it was tough up to 1980 alberta had a sense of uh we're going places the premier kind of gave us this vision and so Albertans felt that we had something to offer to the rest of the country, that uh, we were feeling confident in ourselves, we were feeling strong. That came crashing down a bit after the National Energy Program. But I think that we were still feisty. <laughs> and so I think uh, that confidence couldn't be uh, diminished entirely. Western Swagger is taking a hit. Only one bright spot is on the horizon, the Edmonton Eskimos. At the end of the 1981 season, they would have a chance to make Canadian Football League history. Never before had any team won four Grey Cups in a row. And that football swagger was about to impact the political arena. Second down, four yards to go. On blocking by Art Walker and Roger Nelson, dynamite Johnny Bright explodes into the end zone, climaxing an Edmonton drive that carries 68 yards in 11 remorseless plays. Hometown heroes gave the Eskimos their first dynasty in the 1950s, tying the record of three Grey Cup victories in a row. In Alberta, the line between football and politics is a thin one. For the first two seasons of the Eskimo franchise, a young Peter Lougheed patrolled the defensive backfield. Premier Lougheed was a football player. That whole sense of team, um, I think he very much nurtured when he came into political life as well. 
Edmontonian Arisia Lenny, a key insider in Premier Lougheed's government, has a front row seat to Alberta's battle with Ottawa. And he had a very strong team around him and his ministers. Uh, and there was a strong team of officials as well. Premier Lougheed was a wonderful person to work for and to work with. Peter Mikkelsen, a deputy minister with the Alberta government, is part of the team that Lougheed has assembled to challenge Ottawa. He would ask questions. He'd want to know about this or that or how that possibly might work. He was always trying to look at the big picture and where Alberta could fit in with the other provinces and what the future of Canada might look like. The National Energy Program legislates Alberta to share its growing oil wealth with the rest of Canada. Lougheed and Albertans want control of their own natural resources. In Ottawa, they must say that, you know, that'll never do, that upstart province. We better club them into submission, and October 28th was the day they chose. We can weather this storm, and no small elite in Ottawa can stop it for long, and that's my vision of a positive Canada. Thank you very much. The fight is on. In downtown Edmonton, two kilometers from the Alberta legislature, the Eskimos players meet for regular get-togethers. The Grand Hotel was uh, a tavern. Um, that's being a very polite way of describing it. Defensive end, lawyer, budding entrepreneur, and Edmonton native Dave Fennell is nicknamed Dr. Death. The purpose of that was not so much to encourage drinking. The, the purpose of that was to encourage camaraderie. Um, and that you had a lot of people, a lot of different backgrounds, um, and living on with all the daily pressures in life, but it was important that, um, that everyone got to know everyone um, outside of the locker room. It was like family dinner on, on Sunday. You're supposed to be there, and if you weren't there, I'd find you. North Carolina native Dan Kepley is the heart and muscle of the linebacking corps. He lives hard, and he plays harder. They would talk politics, and they would talk other things that were not even related to football. How's your, how's your wife? I heard you this. How's your children? Or little things like that that uh, tend to get us away and uh, allowed us to maybe have a little bit of the reality of what the real world was like. Kepley loved the Eskimos right from the start. I walk into the Clark Stadium locker room. Guy walks up to me, boxer shorts, socks, and cowboy boots. That's it. And I looked at him, he put his hand out. He said, hi, I'm Tom Wilkinson. 
I inadvertently spoke too quickly and I said, I said, you must be the equipment guy. And he said, no, I'm your quarterback. And a little thought ran through my mind very quickly. I'm going to say, I think I'm going to like this place. We're going to play a lot of defense here. I'll be on the field a lot. 1981 will be Wilkinson's 10th and final season with the Eskimos. This year, he's sharing quarterbacking duties with a young man he has helped to mentor, Warren Moon. Where most quarterbacks like to put themselves above what everybody does, Wilkie made sure that he was right in the middle of all the guys and making sure that each one of us understood what it took to make a team. Eskimo kicker Dave Cutler is the son of a well-traveled Navy man. He attended 13 different schools across Canada before his grade 12 graduation. Cutler is Western-born and proud of it. This team would have never been what this team is and what people thought it was without him. Wilkie was the guy that knit it all together. The team's regular season record is the best in CFL history, an incredible 14-1-1. While celebrating victory after victory, off the field, the team grieves the loss of popular running back Don Warrington, who died in a car crash just one month after their 1980 Grey Cup win. Donnie Warrington was a team favorite. He was a favorite of all of us, all the coaches, all the players. He was an Eskimo. Head coach Hugh Campbell remembers one of the Eskimos' most popular players. Donnie Warrington was what the Eskimos were, unselfish, giving maximum effort, fun to be around, great sense of humor. And so when you lose one of your own and it's at that, age in particular it just knocks you in the gut and you don't you just there's no everybody might react differently but everybody reacts strongly don warrington was injured in that first quarter don are you going to be able to get back in i think i'll probably get back in maybe in the second half we'll fix it up at halftime it's pretty sore right now the shoulder problem yeah and this really really stunned our football team but again, with the great leadership among the players, uh, we kind of refocused and, well, one of our players phrased it as it, it wasn't fair to the other teams because we had our 13th guy on the field with us. And um, that was Donnie Warrington's spirit. That never quit spirit in the Eskimos ran across the province. Albertans realized that tackling Pierre Trudeau might be a different kind of battle. Alberta was ready for the fight. In 1981, all Canadians are hurting. Prime Minister Trudeau doesn't want Canadians to pay sky-high world oil prices. The National Energy Program presents a made-in-Canada solution. But Premier Peter Lougheed wonders, at what cost to Alberta? It seems to me very strange that 
Alberta is asked to do this as part of its contribution to Canada, whereas uh, nobody from Quebec or Ontario was asked to sell their refrigerators or their Fords at 70% of the world price. Work in the oil patch is slowing to a crawl. Interest rates are crippling, and the world economy is slowing down. In Alberta, with its oil and gas-based economy, the effects of the National Energy Program make things worse. It was difficult for a number of reasons. My husband's business, and he had a law firm uh, that had been prospering, and it um, suffered as a lot of the um, law firms did in Alberta at the time. It wasn't just the oil companies, it was all of the services and uh, all the related industries. It was a dismal time, and so I remember it being a very, very difficult time financially and spiritually um, in our own personal life. For most people walking the street, things weren't the way they should be. Our daughter-in-law, her dad was in oil. He had friends that literally killed themselves. Literally killed themselves. Ottawa wants to redistribute Alberta's oil revenues to help the rest of the country. This has unintended consequences which inflame Westerners. The Alberta producers can't even access the world markets. Uh, and they're restricted to, in the ways that uh, they can sell their products uh, so that other people can benefit economically. So if you're a rig worker from uh, Drayton Valley, you're not as important as, uh, uh, as someone on the assembly line in Oshawa. The food bank in Edmonton sees a rise in demand. The Eskimos step up with a new food donation program that is now emulated across the CFL. It became a tradition where we did that year after year, particularly at one game. And we ended up collecting more food that one game than they did all the rest of the year combined. It almost uh, became not only a source of pride, but a, a part of the enthusiasm of the crowd at the game. They all felt good. They came to the game, they gave some food. Uh, the team went down, played good football, and uh, they go home happy. Premier Lougheed feels drastic measures must be taken. He threatens to turn down the taps. We've decided to recommend to the legislature that we should reduce the rate in which we're producing our oil to about 85% of its capacity. Canadians may have to buy their oil at world prices. Lougheed's strategy works. Ottawa comes to the negotiating table. This was the only time where a federal government decided to intrude on the jurisdictional rights of a province. Tom Wood, an oil industry expert, advises Alberta's energy minister during the negotiations. They've never done it in coal or uh, uh, copper or 
uh, trees or nothing. It was, it was just this oil and gas was the only thing where they intruded. Ottawa plays hardball. While Alberta manages to win a few concessions, there's no mistaking this is a significant victory for Prime Minister Trudeau. I think today's agreement is uh, in keeping with the long tradition of Canadian federalism. We've uh, bargained hard and we've reached a compromise. And the agreement wasn't uh, popular with uh, the petroleum industry or with a lot of Albertans who felt that uh, Alberta had compromised more than they should have. This uh, agreement signed today uh, will have a very positive and constructive uh, result upon investor confidence, upon uh, the people of Canada and their potential. There's no question our people felt very strongly that it was better to uh, accept it uh, and uh, bide your time and keep fighting uh, within Canada. Notwithstanding the fact that there was considerable uh, discussion among Albertans and other Westerners uh, about uh, separation. And believe me, there were very strong feelings. A staged photo op hides Peter Lougheed's regret. Let's face it, that policy impacted Alberta more than anybody else. But this is a tough bunch of people here, okay? And maybe we were a model, maybe we weren't, but we felt that we were a very, very, very tough team. Almost one in 10 Edmontonians are season ticket holders. That's over 40,000 fans. We would walk to the games from our house and you just go feeling a sense of optimism because you knew it was going to be a good show, good entertainment, a good game, and that the team would give their all. Getting Eskimo tickets was a priority to a lot of families. And maybe oddly enough that at some point the way we went to the Grand Hotel and got away from football, the people got to those stands and they came to watch us and they were able to forget about the politics of the world or the problems that we're having there just for a few hours. They kept the ticket prices reasonable, I do recall that. We could still afford them. Didn't go on a holiday that year, but we did go to the did get season tickets, <laughs> um, and it was really quite, uh, quite amazing to watch that team. Eskimo fans, meanwhile, are rewarded with another trip to the Grey Cup. There she is, and there is Miss Grey Cup of 1981, Miss Toronto Argonaut. Ah, oh, that's a way to beat Ted. She's 21 years of age and having a great time today. And here is a magnificent float from Evan. It's the City of Edmonton Civic Employees, and they present Starburst, and the employees from many city departments volunteered over 600 man-hours of their own time to design, construct, and decorate this float. Alberta may have lost to Ottawa in the political game, but now the Eskimos have a chance to set a national record and beat Ottawa on the field.
1981 Grey Cup features Edmonton versus Ottawa. And the game is in Montreal, Prime Minister Trudeau's hometown. For the Eskimos, it's business as usual. The way it started was that we have three different kinds of people in the team. The eight people were all the guys under 220. All the guys over 220 were the bear people. And then Fenn was allowed to be elephant because he was the biggest. For the good of the family, make this perfectly clear, that mammoth man, Dave Fennell, allowed this to happen. <laughs> and the call of the apes goes out. And we attack Fenn. And we're just pinching him you know, like this. And Fenn is like, whoa, whoa. And he goes down. And all of a sudden, his clothes are off. For what reason? Who knows? But now his clothes are gone. So we win the Grey Cup. The next year, we do it to him again. We win the Grey Cup. And unfortunately, now Fenn's not part of a prank. He's part of a superstition. Then one year, it was magnificent. Dave Fennell had come up with a way to not have this happen. Fenn had come out with his wrists taped with it over top of his clothes and his belt taped over top of his clothes and his ankles taped over top of his clothes. And this is the story that I hear. I'm, I can't remember. I don't know if I was part of this. Out comes four sets of scissors, down goes Fenn, and we have that stuff off him, I guarantee you, in 18 seconds. And all he's left with is two bracelets, a white belt, and white anklets. Politics, like football, is about seizing opportunities the opposition gives you. In Ottawa, another game is being played. For 114 years, Canada hasn't had a constitution or a bill of rights of its own. Our own definition of who we are and what rights we share. Trudeau and the premiers want a deal but haven't been able to agree. The Supreme Court tells them they have to talk to each other. It might be the premier's last chance to enshrine provincial rights and Trudeau's chance for a negotiated deal. Otherwise, Trudeau will act unilaterally it was very exciting because you were really involved in something that was special. And to me, putting this together, which is something that had uh, never really been done before, that attempts had been made, but here was an opportunity to actually patriate, that means to bring home the Constitution to Canada. Canada was founded as a nation with a strong central government. Lougheed and the premiers want more control of what they see as provincial rights including natural resources. A lot of this constitutional talk was happening against the backdrop of uh, the issue with um, the economy as a result of the National Energy Program and the despair that a lot of Albertans felt at the time. But I think it's important to understand that in Alberta's case, energy and the Constitution were very much linked. Behind closed doors, negotiations proceed with little progress. It has become a battle of wills between the Prime Minister and the Premiers. He used the phrase, the enemy within. It is us. But the enemy within, to him, or the, the provinces were too much undermining, the, shall we say, the national government. 
and he was he felt it was time to rein them back in. So what motivated him was recognition that the federal government was fundamental to the well-being of the country. For a constitutional deal to happen, 10 provinces have to agree. Something they've been trying to do with Trudeau for 14 years. And I watched the television sessions very avidly um, with some modest hope, but a bit of uh, pessimism that any agreement could really be reached. Since 1971, Lougheed has earned a leadership role amongst a number of the other premiers. I know Premier Lougheed was a football player. And in looking at our approach, his approach to things, it's all based on teamwork. In terms of our position in the first half, we're not going anywhere. But the second, as we get move, move further in the game, our position, which in effect was the amending formula and the equality of provinces, becomes a reality. Teamwork, continuing to push hard on your position, uh, but you know, playing fair, but working hard and saying, what can we do to get to the end game? The elephant in the room is whether a separatist-minded premier We'll stick with the team. Mr. Prime Minister, this is not the usual Ottawa-Edmonton matchup for confrontation. No, people even pay to come and see this and they seem to enjoy it. I enjoy the other, but uh, it always ends up well. People get along. With a victory, the Eskimos can set a CFL record by capturing their fourth consecutive Grey Cup. All they have to do is beat the 5-11 Ottawa Rough Riders. Hello again, everybody. Don, I don't think there's any question about it that the 1981 Grey Cup game features the team coming in here as the greatest underdog in history, the Ottawa Rough Riders. And really, if they pull it off, it's a miracle. What would have to be described as a pretty ragtag team from Ottawa had not much success during the year. Started to get hot in the playoffs. Won, won two games that they weren't supposed to win. And then they show up. Ottawa is a 22-point underdog. You really think they belong like that? Well, it's one game, eh? And one game you can win, you can lose. I always say that. There's the man of the hour for the Edmonton Eskimos, Warren Moon. Will the Ottawa Rough Riders be able to contain him? So Ottawa's going to have possession first, though. Cutler's kickoff, not a deep one. Bounces in front of Brazley at the nine. The hardest part in a game like that is that when you are prohibitive favorites, the longer the underdog can hold on to you, the tighter things get. And he's got a big first down. Watts puts it up for Pat Stokely. He's the give is to Reed. guys are really working hard. We have confidence in what we're doing, and I think we're going to win this daggum ball game. particular game, the opposing coach, George Mancato, did a great job of saying, 
we're just so glad to be here. We're just lucky to get to play this team and all that. And he was really playing it like they were had no chance. But Ottawa came out on fire, and uh, a few plays went the wrong way for us. I missed a, a field goal that should have been a convert. I mean, I was just so tight because they'd held on to us too long, and we should be kicking their ass. The I don't know if the beginning of the game went fairly uh, badly because we were overconfident. Note the use of the word we. I relate to them still. If uh, we were overconfident or whether Ottawa just played phenomenally well. To the shock of Eskimo fans, the chance of a Grey Cup record suddenly looks bleak. You'd like to say, well, we just spotted the 20 points, get things evened up, make sure that CBC got to have an audience in the second half of the game. But uh, the fact of the matter is they played well. Earlier in the month, things were bleak in Ottawa, too. The conference was closing the next morning. A constitutional deal could be possible if the provinces and Trudeau can agree. That evening, there's a last-ditch attempt at a deal. Overnight, everything changes. What they did this morning is beyond description. Does that mean Between the meeting on November the 4th and November the 5th, an agreement came together. Uh, Premier Levesque was not known for early arrivals. So when he did arrive, the other premiers had seen the document that had been prepared overnight based on the discussions we had had. Premier Levesque saw it for the first time and said, what's this? Now, the other premiers gave him a very brief discussion, but they said, we have to go and get ready for the meeting. And that left Premier Lougheed behind. He stayed behind to chat with Premier Levesque. A fledgling deal is made in the evening and finessed in late-night phone calls. The media called it the Kitchen Accord, but for many in Quebec, it is remembered as the Night of the Long Knives. Premier Levesque's view was this had been done behind our backs, without our knowledge. Premier Levesque said, no, it wasn't. He said, I did not see the agreement until this morning. I had some idea what were going on, but I did not see the agreement, and I got my briefing this morning, just as you did. But he also made it clear that this isn't over. There's an opportunity later today for you to put a position on the table if you want to. For Levesque, who stood his ground, it's over for now. Quebec is the only province not to sign on. In spite of the joyous outpourings of most of my colleagues while they were giving their reactions to that, maybe second thoughts and further events will make them understand that this could have incalculable consequences. In the 1981 Grey Cup, the Eskimos are trailing 20 to 1 at halftime. As the players retreat to the dressing room, some fans remain confident. Despite adversity, the game isn't over yet. 
And so we ran into the dressing room, it was extremely quiet because guys were just shell-shocked. And then all of a sudden, things started to motor. Voices started to go. Don Matthews got his group with defense. Offense designed what they were going to do. And then all of a sudden, Tom Wilkinson stands up on a, on a bench, and he said, we scored 28 points a game this year, sometimes in the first half, sometimes in the second. And then Huey said, I heard they're showing up. Let's go get them. Take Edmonton in the second half, guys. But they, they had the potential to make it here, so they have the potential to win. They're just giving them a chance to run. We smash them in the end. <laughs> when you have that, uh, that kind of adversity, the natural reaction is, it's a lot of finger pointing. Why aren't you doing your job? And, and, it, and if you descend into that, you're never going to be successful. I don't think that we were thinking more about the four in a row as uh, for me personally, um, as we were think as I was thinking about uh, Donnie Warrington. His nickname was Jeep because he ran over people. He was that's that powerful where he was. He didn't run around you. He wasn't going to juke and jack. He was going to run over you. Not winning this for Jeep to um, to the Edmonton Eskimos as a family was much more. Uh, Disappointing than winning four in a row for the CFL. All right, David, I want to know what this Edmonton club wants to do in the second half. How you think you change things about? First of all, we want to win the second half. And the thing we're doing is we're trying to overcome our mistakes and play as a team. Maybe we came out a little bit too much individually minded. Now, you're going to see us jealous of the team. The Eskimos' pursuit of a record fourth consecutive Grey Cup depends on 30 minutes of football. For Canada, until Quebec signs, the game is still on. I think I won't open the meeting for any afterthoughts because we better grab this signature, these, this paper, and run before anybody changes his mind. La séance est journée. Looking at it from Premier Lawhees position at the time, I think he would have felt it was a win-win for Alberta and a win-win for Canada. On the other hand, you could say, well, that's correct, Peter, but with Quebec not signing on, it's really only a partial win because we were in this together. It would be nice to come out of it together, but it didn't work out that way. If that dramatic stand had not been made, the good fight hadn't been fought, we'd be in a much different country today. There was some economic pain that was taken. Ultimately, it made Canada a much better place. And if it hadn't been for what uh, the Alberta government was doing at that point in time, it might not be existing in the way it does today. Prime Minister Trudeau and the Premiers achieved their dream of a constitution and a charter of rights and freedoms for Canada. 
This document is the written foundation, the backbone of Canada. How we are governed, how we conduct ourselves as a nation, and how we treat each other as citizens. Our destiny, for the first time ever, is in the hands of Canadians. We are family, and there, everything didn't go smoothly 24 hours a day, but then we had to figure out a way to solve the problem. Watts taking off, he fumbles the football, and throws, picked up by the Edmonton Eskimos at the three. The most important thing is about team success. So if Dave Finnell did his job well, Danny was put in a position where he could achieve. And if York Henschel or David Boone or James Parker all did their job, then we can all achieve. And um, I'd rather have the memories of team success than, um, than any amount of individual awards. Well, a big two-point conversion attempt by the Edmonton Eskimos. We had pride. We had professionalism. We had the thought that we were not going to let anybody embarrass us on a football field. And we were not going to embarrass our teammates by not doing our job. In November 1981, Peter Lougheed and Pierre Trudeau came together as leaders and as statesmen to enjoy Canada's greatest national game, the Grey Cup. One of the things that we tried to teach young guys on this team was about pressure. And pressure is the most selfish emotion you can have because it's your fear of your failure. And you know what? I don't care how you feel about it. You're doing it for us. And that's why in most games, maybe not with always the best athletes, we beat you. For a season that started in July, it's coming down to the last six seconds of the Grey Cup game. I think that's all you can ask for. Field goal attempt by Dave Cutler from 27 yards out. Six seconds remain in the clock. sounds so cliched when guys say it but I I really believe it and that's the way our ball club is that when you get your chance to do something to, to pull us out of the fire then you do it you knew it was going through you had no pressure on you is that what you're saying oh, I, I'd be a liar if I said that but that's uh, you know we were just you know it just had to be done and I, I it was just I was glad it went through in both football and politics despite your best plays and your best strategy the margins between victory and defeat can seem so slim. In 1981, players and leaders fought against the odds for victory. When West met East, we all won.